Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It's episode 13. We're talking Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I'm Ali Matu, and I'm here joined by my co-host. AJ Conrad. How's it going, Conrad? It's going well. It's going well. Beautiful, beautiful day out today. Oh, finally, we're getting some spring weather here in New York City. Hopefully, wherever you're listening to this, you're having enjoying some nice weather as well. Um, so we're talking Captain America, and what, what do we have in the crossover today, Conrad? Today in the crossover, we have Captain America versus Superman and two upholds. Do you, do you want to say American values? Is that what we were thinking? Yeah, truth, justice, in the American way. All right, or traditional American values, I suppose, or... Historical American values? Um, American stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That works, that works. And then our top five is going to be top five political thrillers in the Captain America vein. Um, And I definitely went more conspiracy theory type thrillers on my end of things. So I can't wait to hear what yours are. Yeah, this is a... a, a interesting genre we haven't really been able to dive into in the show before so it'll be uh, interesting to see where it goes so conrad where um so we this is like the ninth film in the marvel cinematic universe we've had uh we've had captain america appear before in captain america the first avenger and marvel's the avengers so uh, what's your experience with this character where are you coming from in terms of your knowledge and appreciation appreciation of the character the comics the movies all that stuff i have to say uh, you know before um marvel decided to do these these films I was never really a Captain America or an Iron Man fan. I felt like they were a little bit too boring, quite frankly. Um, And, you know, this also may be just my oversight. I just never really got too much into that comic line. I just found them a little bit, a little bit propaganda based um, or a lot rather. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, and I know that there's some of that that and obviously given where. The history of these sorts of comics come, including Superman and all that fun stuff. Yeah, and, and Wonder Woman. There's a lot of propaganda going on. Um, but for so, some reason, Captain America was never really one of my favorites. Um, I I honestly viewed him as being a little bit too... Um, eh, a little bit too one-dimensional. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my experience isn't too different from yours. Uh, growing up, the comics I did read were not... Captain America. No. Um, I also was not a huge fan of Iron Man. I watched a, a car- Iron Man cartoon growing up, but I think you're right about that. The the Marvel films have made me more appreciation, of, uh, give, given me a more appreciation of Iron Man. My only exposure, honestly, to Captain America was um, Captain America appeared in a lot of the Capcom fighting games I played as a kid. So um, I believe he was in Marvel versus Street Fighter, and then Marvel versus Capcom and so I, I played as Captain America a lot in those games and he had this cool stars and stripes and um, some other move involving justice and stuff um, but yeah he w- he wasn't a character that really appealed to me too much yeah and I mean that's but that was the thing is that the Iron Man well at least the first Iron Man film really um, 
I was like, okay, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And actually, one of my very good friends, Leah, was such a huge Captain America fan. In fact, she she and she is one of those amazing people that just puts an enormous amount of effort into her costumes um, for cons and for Halloween and things like that. And I remember I came home one day because she was my neighbor and, and she was just like hanging out in her Captain America costume on her front <laughs> on her front porch and I um I she started telling me like why she liked him and she actually had a lot of recommendations in terms of the storylines that she liked and I started to gain more of a more of an appreciation. I still admit I, I tend to like mutants better. Um, <laughs> but, which anyone who li- listened to last week's summer movie preview could tell uh, we're yeah. <laughs> pretty we're a pretty pro mutant bunch. You yeah, know, super fantastic. Um, but I, you know, I have enjoyed the the way that they have tied these movies and storylines in together. Um, so what then, was your and then Captain your... uh, Captain America the the first Avenger? Yeah, that was what, what, um, exactly what I was going to ask you about. I you know there are things I liked about it. I, you know how I love origin stories. I honestly tend to love origin stories a lot. Probably sometimes more than the original storylines. Um, I felt like the the thing about um, the first Captain America film. That was pretty, not pretty impressive, amazingly impressive was the special effect that they did with the Steve Rogers character in how, you know, small and and scrawny he was and, and you know, and, and that transformation into Captain America. I thought that was so impressive, but some of the storyline felt just very... Uh, just a little too boring to me <laughs> and not boring. I don't know. It just felt like very, um, very canned, I guess is the, what I'm trying to say. Um, and I felt like it was a little too long and there was, it was just, it didn't, it didn't grab me, um, as much as some other films had. I did enjoy it. Quite honestly, I did enjoy it more than I, than I liked the Thor film. Mm-hmm. Um, and Definitely more than Iron Man three, but I think a lot of people would say that. Well, um, so, and I actually, the, I actually liked him a lot more in the Avengers film. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, it's not like I don't feel on board with him. I just, uh, I could go either way. You know, I'm gonna, well, see, of, I'm gonna see it because it's a superhero movie, of course, but. Yeah. I'm not there. It wasn't like, but I did see the trailers for this film the the winter soldier and i actually was excited so there were some things that i i agree with you about uh captain america the first avenger and a few that were a bit different for me um i of course i was going to see it because it was the last film leading up to the first avengers right. uh film so I, it was going to set up everything and i actually adored the first half of that film. Um, I think the criticism you and I are both talking about, about it being uh, feeling so um, uh, so clear and absolute and not really having any, any of the more ambigu- ambiguities some of the other characters have, I think they use that to their advantage. And they talked about how Captain America was created to be this World War, uh, this World War II propaganda type character. And I think Tommy Lee Jones's character was was fantastic in that role. Um, uh, the um, the director was coming from uh, The Rocketeer, which is one of my favorite um 
childhood films. And, you know, I was very hesitant about Chris Evans being cast into this role since he had played the Human Torch in that really bad Fantastic Four uh, film. Um, but I thought he really played this character well. Um, so I loved the first half of that film. And then the second half, I really thought when it came to the, the big confrontation between Captain America and Red Skull, who was played by Hugo Weaving, who's been in a bunch of the films that we talk about on this show, um, I really felt like everything from the climax to the ending was pretty lackluster. The action wasn't exciting. And it, it the film sort of bo- boiled down to him having to pilot this plane into this uh, iceberg kind of thing. Um, it wasn't really that exciting for me. Um, so I, I had mixed feelings about it. And then it ended with that trailer for the Avengers that didn't really look good. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, and then it's this, like, oh, wait, this is what I watched this for? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. 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 Totally ends in that letdown. And um, uh, But then we went into the Avengers, and it was great. And uh, something that's really cool about Captain America is – he worked really well as a counterpoint to Iron Man. Um, no, he did. And you know what? He does. Ha- and they did that right. And, you know, they have that sort of weird allies, but not, you know, they, they have that odd. We're we're a little bit adversarial and things like that. They had that tension. And and so I thought I thought they did that very well. Um but yeah, and I thought it was actually nice seeing him in that ensemble film. And I, I think I've said before, I mean, I liked Avengers and I liked it a lot more the first time I saw it. Like it was this big summer blockbuster, but I had different yep. feelings after I watched it a second time. Like somehow it didn't quite hold up where I wanted to. And I think it was just, you know, I still like what Joss Whedon did. I think he did a fantastic film with pulling those characters together. I think he's probably, in my opinion, the first director that used Hulk correctly. Yeah, Um, I'd agree with that. But, uh, you know, there was just some things about it that I was like, okay. Um, But, but I loved it. You know, no, don't get me wrong. It was, it was, it was good. But. And something, something unique about Captain America compared to the other Avenger characters, he's the one that's sort of rooted in S.H.I.E.L.D. He's the one who is, um, while Iron Man's out doing his thing and um, Hulk is out wherever trying to control his anger. And um, Thor is out in um, uh, what was it called? What's his realm called again? Uh, Asgard. Um, Asgard. Well, Thor is in Asgard. Uh, Captain America's here in America. Um, well, he's a company. He's a company man. But Black he's Widow. He's a company man. But Black and Widow is too, actually. Well, no, Black Widow's too. But in that sense, with the first movie. It tied together different things. You had Tony Stark's father in that movie, um, and sort of there was that character there. And also, as we get into Winter Soldier, there's a lot of stuff that links this together. So, kind of like going into Winter Soldier, what were your expectations? What were you thinking going into this film? Well, I actually was wondering. You know, I, I knew vaguely what the storyline was because I I do know that at least. So. Um, but again, it's not, it it was not a comic that I followed incredibly closely. Um, I had, I was, I was pretty sure that this was going to be good because I knew generally where the storyline was. Um, but, um, we should, we should probably 
say spoiler, spoiler alerts right now <laughs> yeah. before getting too far into this. Yeah, we're we're gonna really spoil this movie. There's some we're gonna big spoil stuff that the happens. heck out of it. <laughs> yeah, we are. Um, there's some pretty big stuff that happens, so we 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 have to talk about that. And also, we should mention we will spoil um, last week's episode of Agents of Shield as well. Right. So. If you have not seen Captain America, the Winter Soldier, or um, its tie-in episode with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., pause, go watch it, and come back. Exactly. Good warning. <laughs> Here endeth the spoiler warning. <laughs> so I, I, um, read, I read the, um, the Winter Soldier um, uh, Volume 1 and 2 comic before going into this. So I, I knew a little bit about Winter Soldier. Um, and I had seen the other movies, the other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. So the Thor two and Iron Man three and all of that, everything that's come post, um, Avengers. Um, but beyond that, I didn't really know too much about what was going to happen. Um, and frankly, I was a little surprised before seeing the movie at how positive, um, how much buzz, um, Winter Soldier was getting, um, People were really calling it one of the best Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe films. So I, I'm, it's not that I had high expectations, but I was uh, going into it expecting something a little bit more and a little bit different than we've seen from a lot of the other sequel films that Marvel uh, Studios has put out. Well, I think anytime you throw in a conspiracy theory, it's going to be interesting, especially if that has to do with director fury. Um, but you know, it's, I saw the trailer. I actually deliberately did not read the comics because I wanted to sort of, sometimes that, that, that ruins a film for me, you know? Um, so I did not, I did not read it before, although I obviously I knew a little bit going in. Um, and it was, um, I actually saw this while away and it was in a pretty, Big and nice theater. There were actually a shock. I know this sounds weird. I was a little bit surprised at how many very young children were in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess, you know, I leave it to the parents to decide what what their children can see. But I don't know. I think I would have to. To me, there, there's a lot of stuff in here. I don't know. That's necessarily kid friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it depends on the kid and what the kid is, you know, used to. But. But these were pretty young kids, um, and some of them were not too happy about some of the scenes in this film. So huh? they were scared, and it's you know it's not scary, but I think it depends on your kid, obviously. But in any case, there were a lot so- of people dressed up in costumes in this theater too. <laughs> shockingly enough, um, since it wasn't, I did not go on opening day. Um, no, which is, I- that's something I normally expect to see, like on an opening night uh, of a film, and. Because that's when the real super fans are out. But this was actually a pretty decent amount of costume people here. Um, and this was in, um, in what, like near Seattle, Washington. Well, I saw it here in New York at our IMAX theater um, in Lincoln Square. But I saw it on Sunday. I saw it like Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Um, and there were a ton of people in line um, dressed as Captain America. Um, not full on, but, you know, they had people in capes and shirts and shields and all of that. Um, and the theater was completely sold out. And the film has the box office has done incredibly well. So it it has been pretty popular. It's done well. Um so what did you think? 
Um, overall, I really liked it. Um, I didn't, I thought that the pacing was very good. Um, I thought the storyline moved along. I, I think the evolution of Captain America here, cause you know, he's been a little listless. He, you know, he, he was struggling with some stuff in the Avengers, which you could see him starting to resolve there. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is him coming into what he's going to be and what his purpose in life is at this point. And it's, you know, they pulled in some nice elements with, um, with Peggy Carter, mm-hmm. um, you know, as an old woman talking to him about starting shield. Um, so they gave like a nice little base about where this organization started that I think a lot of people may not have realized, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, I thought, you know, Fury as a character seems just so, uh, like, you're pretty much like he's bulletproof, whatever. So, so when you have this insane scene where he gets attacked, it's terrifying, right? Because you think yeah. he has like all yeah. these resources and somebody's going to come rescue him and he just is like taking and taking it. And, you know, I thought that that was handled pretty well. Um, that scene was really spectacular. Right. The the action sequence where Fury is taken off in the car and he is being um, attacked, it, it comes out of nowhere. And it it is uh, it's relentless. It continues. And just as a set piece and the way they they um, directed the action, um, the way it played out was really exciting. Right. And I mean, I think Robert Redford... As the counterpoint to, well, not Robert Redford, but he's still Robert Redford to me. And he's uh, Robert Redford. <laughs> um, he's still, he's so handsome. He's, 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 an, he's an handsome, talented, great actor. He really is. Um, but just even that setup was really, um, I thought, very well done. Yeah, I don't know how they got him. To I, don't be in this movie, I don't either. I don't either. It's but, amazing. Um, yeah, and his Alexander Pierce was very good. Um, I, I like that you see a lot of the the Black Widow. Um, the, the Black Widow actually had stuff to do. Um, she did, but again, you know what? It's interesting because I know everybody said to see this and see how how much time they gave to the women on the screen, and she did, but I don't know. Well, it's it's not where we want it to be. No. Um, I mean, it's and there's also there's a few other smaller uh, female characters um, and and Scarlett Johansson's character. She definitely had much more to do. Um, Black Widow. But it, it was definitely not to the degree that we've seen with some of the other characters in this right. universe. But in any case, I just thought it flowed really well. Um I thought I thought that they they definitely moved the storyline along. I part part just in terms of like I thought the evolution of of the Steve Rogers character was good. Um and the the struggle he's having was was shown very well and you know they set up everything very well with Sharon Carter, um the mm-hmm. nur- the nurse who's keeping an eye on him and all that stuff and which ties into the comics. It does, and that's yeah. she's she's basically uh, Steve Rogers on again, off again, love interest. She also um, is a descendant of um, Peggy Carter, who is, as people remember, was 
was Steve's love interest in the first film and in the comic books. She uh, is, played by Haley Atwell, which is a little creepy, actually. Which is a little weird, right? Like you, would, I, guess, I guess maybe if they had hooked up, it would feel weirder. But yeah, even when he's talking, I was actually thinking all this when he was talking to the old woman. I was like, oh, man. When he's talking to Peggy. Uh, yeah. I was like, that's a little weird because I didn't know what they I didn't know if they were going to actually go there with the Sharon Carter character. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. I was just like, that's got to be strange, you know, <laughs> um, I, you know, so they I think that they did some things really well. I also think, um, you know, in terms of seeing him. Uh, you know, one of the impressive things, I don't know how they got the Smithsonian to do that, but to have the whole set up the at the Air and Space, Space Museum yeah, um, and to have him go in and realize that he's an icon or he, I think he knew he was an icon, but just sort of see all of this and realize all of his friends are dead yeah, um, yeah. or old or not doing, not serving in this capacity anymore. Um, and then, you know, obviously they're setting you up because they mentioned Bucky very specifically in this scene. Um, I, I just thought that there were a lot of really nice touches and layers to this that weren't in the first one. I mean, they yeah. were there, but they were just really kind of broad strokes brushed on. And I think they really delved deep into this story. So it sounds what, like you it sounds like you liked it a lot. I, no, I mean, on the on the well, I'm trying to be positive because I guess I get the reputation where I'm just like, I'm going to tear this film apart. Um in terms of the things I don't like, and this well, is... Well, well, let's pause on that. Let's pause on that, because I've, I've got some things to like, to share that I okay, like Okay, okay. Well. What did and you we, like? We, yeah, so, you know, um, overall, I, I enjoyed the film a lot. Um, even as someone who who just read the Winter Soldier storyline before going into this, I, I thought it was... Um, the movie was pretty interesting. Again, like we mentioned before, the action was really well done. And beyond that, I think... Um, uh, Winter Soldier did what Marvel Studios does really well. They make really fun and entertaining movies. Um, it's not just the action, but the humor as well. It was really well, um, the, the comedy was really well written. And I think that probably comes from um, the, the director's sense of comedy. The It's, it's directed by a br- um, brother pair, I think, Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. They've done a lot of TV. They've done episodes of Community and they've done Arrested Development. And I think that just gave them the sense of, of comedy and timing to be able to bring that to the big screen. Um, so I like that. I like a lot of the um, the character arcs, like you said, what happens to especially um, Steve Rogers and Captain America. And um, I like Falcon. Um, I like how they brought him in. I like their relationship. That was fun to see. Um, the other big thing I really liked about this was um, – it was, you know, in the last episode of the podcast, we talked about disaster porn mm-hmm. and how we have seen these major terrorist attacks and kind of um, 9-11 type imagery um, evoked in so much film, um, especially last year. And I like how this film it had a huge storyline and it wasn't going for the CGI overkill and there wasn't major large scale uh, disaster and it had, I mean, it had. Um, 
I shouldn't say a more personal storyline, but it had it had the Captain America storyline that was a major thrust of the film set aside or set against these more kind of global events that are happening. And in that way, I think it, it was a it was a pretty good political thriller. Um, what, what did you think about um, the I mean, from my point of view, I think it wasn't exactly <laughs> it, it was not subtle, but I felt like a lot of the storyline and some of the commentary was very much talking about things that are actually happening in the well, U.S. This, oh, yeah, absolutely. And that so, was something that I said, wow, guys, really? You know, and I'm not bothered by it necessarily, but um, because I do think, but I thought it was very interesting how forthright they were about that. Yeah, so... Um, what so we're talking about, what we're talking about is basically um, there is a lot of commentary related to um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization and HYDRA and the methods that... S.H.I.E.L.D. is using to protect the U.S. and to protect citizens. And David Fury very specifically, or sorry, uh, Director Fury very specific, has a very interesting conversation about those methods and what he's going to do. He also has a conversation. He has a conversation with Pierce as well as with, um, with Steve Rogers about it, but about what shield is doing and what they have to do to protect things and whether that is a violation of the actual freedoms that they're trying to protect and so i mean the obvious connection is with what the u.s has been doing in terms of nsa and um you know homeland security and all that fun stuff um but I wasn't I wasn't bothered by it. I just actually I admit I was a little bit surprised at how bold faced it was. I, I was really struck by how um, how current it was, how bold it was for Marvel to put this into one of their big brand name um, films. And I like that. And the reason why I liked it is because I think um, Fury versus Captain America really brings up um, these issues for debate because you clearly have these individuals on both sides. Um, you know, Captain America sort of says, what are we fighting for if we're um, if we're sacrificing our individual freedoms? And Fury says, this is what we have to do to protect our freedom. These are the type of de debates that have played out post 9-11. And I think it speaks to some of the militarization of America, the, the idea of of preemptive strikes, mm -hmm. drone warfare. I mean, what are these two major what were they called? The insight battleships or what, what the hover the shield hover insight major drone warfare things, whatever they are. The super um, fancy battleships. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, whatever they are, I think it kind of speaks to drone warfare. And I mean, so, uh, the the two things that I really liked here is number one, um, the idea it spoke to some of the interesting ideas about how anxiety and fear influence um public support for warfare and um kind of it, it brought up those kind of things for discussion and and then that's the kind of big global piece but then the smaller storyline that i really liked was um you know steve rogers you see him in in the beginning and and in various points in the film really struggling with how to 
integrate back into this modern world. And you see that very humorously done with the notebook, and he's keeping track of all mm-hmm. these things he needs to look up on. The Berlin Wall is on there. I think Steve, um, Steve Jobs is on there. Yeah. And what's cool is Marvel actually did different versions of that for different countries, which right. I think is kind of a nice touch, of, and it speaks to the inter- internationalization and the importance of having this film work in international markets. So I like that. But it's also... What that to me is symbolic of is um, the struggle that a lot of veterans have when they're coming back from deployment. And um, not everyone develops PTSD, but um, something that most vets do experience is coming back to your family. And your family has changed in some ways during the time in which you've been deployed. Um, So, for example, um, your partner might have um, started to take on new roles and new responsibilities in the family. And now you're coming back. You yourself have changed in some ways. And you can't just assume those old roles like you did before deployment. So these are are challenges that a lot of um, military families have to face. And I think Steve Rogers... Um, sort of uh, validated that experience. Well, uh, and not just him, but he actually, he, you know, he talks a lot with the Falcon character, Sam, yeah. about that because they are both veterans and they have a bit of a, you know, uh, just a discussion about it. And just so, showing how much trust is between them. They have not met for very long. And ultimately, Sam is the person that, Sam Wilson is the person that, um, that Captain America and Black Widow go to um, yep. to shelter them and to figure out what they're going to do, and they feel like they can trust him. Um, yeah. I think it also speaks a lot um, the part of the storyline, which it's one that we have seen before. There was a lot of things about people following orders of an organization despite it being against their moral code. Like sure. I was the whole I was just following orders um, trope. Um, and yeah. you saw that pop up at multiple p- parts during this film. Yeah, that gets back to the whole obedience to authority right. and the Stanley Milgram shock experiments. And th- the film had a lot more meat than right. a lot of the Marvel Studios films had. Now, that being said, it, sound- it seems like both you and I have some criticisms of the film. Well, I, you know, I, I do think that even though I, I felt like the pacing was better and it moved along better, I do feel like there were some, it was, you know, it, it wasn't as much, you know, action scene after action scene, but I did feel like some of it felt a bit gratuitous. And I know that that's part of why people go to see these films and that's part of why they make the money and people want to see that those fun fancy fight scenes but it did seem a little bit over the top um and so toward the end of the film i was getting a little bit like oh my gosh can we just move on with it you know um and even though it just felt like the plot had kind of like similar actually to the first film i felt like toward the end i was like okay we get it you know (laughs) um (laughs) we get it big explosions yay and betrayal okay you know (laughs) um and it just it just felt like it it slowed down a tad too much for me um and you know so so that was going on um that was one of my biggest things but what did you well that's that's interesting because i um 
that was not really something that bothered me too much. I thought the pacing was fine. Um, there wasn't. That's just because they gave you sort of those like starship things at the end. (laughs) You were like, okay, this could turn into Star Trek at any moment. It's great. Maybe, maybe it was getting a little bit more sci-fi at the end. Um, Helicarriers. uh, That's the helicarriers. Yes, yes, the helicarriers. Um, and it is. Uh, I just realized that I called uh, director Fury David Fury, who is a writer for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Maybe I'm just got Joss Whedon on the brain. Oh man, uh, you're but just it exci- is. It is Nick Fury, but I was excited to see Joss Whedon in his little cameo in this. So the Whedon verse is all encompassing, and it it pulls you in like a black hole. So I, yeah, I, I forgive true. you for that. Did you catch uh, him? Did you see him? No, I did not see him. He's uh, he's in the Smithsonian scene um, on an Joss escalator. Joss Whedon is in the film. Yeah, he's wearing like a cap- he's wearing like a Captain America t shirt. Oh, that's awesome! So I he's it. in Which that. He wears like often. I've seen him yeah. in photos. So I thought that the- I thought that was pretty cute. So. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, they had a great Stan Lee uh, cameo too. Uh, he, uh, we always yeah. have to have Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah. So uh, here's my big criticism. Um, it's the same two criticisms I've had for pretty much every Marvel Studios film. And this is where I, I just don't get it, Conrad. I, I don't get it. Um, Marvel makes these really fun entertaining movies and they have this fantastic universe where the characters weave in and out and you know i I could have used a little bit more avenger tie-in here they mention a lot of things about like uh stark and and bruce banner and stuff like that but we didn't see anyone like we had a we had a beautiful uh captain america cameo in thor 2 and we didn't have any stuff like that here um but you know that's not my main criticism well you did have a little teaser at the end but okay Continue. A little teaser, yeah. My my two big criticisms: one, um, the villain, and number two, the music. Let's start <laughs> with music. That's easy. Um, for a studio that has complete control over these characters, why they haven't created more um, uh, coherent themes that play out be- between the characters in the universe? I don't understand why they haven't done that. I really feel like the music is an afterthought for most of these films, and um, there isn't a co- um, coherent, consistent sound. Like you, if you leave the theater having watched Iron Man or Thor or the Avengers or Hulk or Captain America, there's no theme you can hum. But you go to Batman or Superman, old or new, and there's very clear themes that come out. So that's number one. But number two... You know, for a film that's called The Winter Soldier, there's not much Winter Soldier here. No. Uh, no. And also, Alexander Pierce, I thought I thought if you combine him and uh, The Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes, you kind of have, like, maybe a full villain. True. But, like, Hydra as this nebulous concept that has sort of uh, infiltrated uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. And Pierce as this sort of surprise, he's the bad guy. Well, it wasn't um, really that much of a surprise, It was wasn't it? too much of a surprise. If you've, if you've seen a lot of these, these genre films play out, it's not too much of a surprise. And that's the thing with Marvel Studios. Their villains, besides, um, besides Loki... Marvel Studios hasn't really developed really compelling villains. That's true. And I mean, you know, Winter Soldier is sort of a... He's not... He's a villain, but he's kind of not. So that's no, also... Exactly. That's true. Um, uh, and I think... I mean, I thought... 
I agree with you there, but I thought part of what they were trying to get across is that there wasn't any one villain. There was an entity of villains. Um, and that was sort of the whole insidious thing about it, um, especially in those scenes where there's a bunch of people in the room you don't know who to trust. Yeah. And, spe- you know, and the interesting thing is that I actually, you know, I can I can see what you're saying. But and and well, and I thought it was sort of like trying to set up the fact that it's not just Captain America and his allies against one person or one villain. It's them against this whole shadow conspiracy. Yeah. And, um, and that's actually for a lot of people, that's much scarier because you don't know who is going to turn and who they have gotten to. Um, but Hydra's a weird. I agree with you, though. I've never. I mean, in terms of them as a, as as an adversary, I don't know. You know, at least with the Red Skull, it was uh, he had Hugo Weaving. <laughs> yeah, and you know, so those are my criticisms. However, that being said, I still think this is one of the best. Marvel Studios films and what's really interesting about this is it it is living in this larger universe and now for the first time we're seeing this movie and the events of this movie tying into their flagship TV show Agents of Shield. Well, yeah, and I actually thought that that was that was amazing that not amazing it was smart of them to do it. They had to do it and they basically uh tied it in timing-wise so there was the release of Captain America to The Winter Soldier. And then their episode this past week was related to those events that happened in the Winter Soldier. They referenced it. There was an uprising within S.H.I.E.L.D. and you see how it affects all the agents. And I thought it was very well done. Well, and I mean, you have to it is brilliant. And they've been having this ad campaign um, where it's uh, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. That's been their slogan since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came on. And in Captain America 2, pretty much S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of destroyed, yep. um, at least this iteration of it. Um, so, you know, I, I think we we are coming from different perspectives on the show. I watched the first few episodes and kind of gave up on the show. You stuck with it, and you, like pretty much everyone else in my life, is telling me, Ali, give it another shot. It got much better. And well, so, I have to tell you, with anything, and this is not something, this is, you know, I love Joss Whedon and the stuff that he does, and this is actually not, he he produces this, but he's not writing it. Um, no, his, his brother His brother writing. and his brother's fiancé or wife, um, and they did, they, they were, they collaborated with him to do Dr. Horrible. Um, and so they oh, were cool. they were doing this and but the thing about Joss Whedon series and this is true I think of every series that he's done save Dollhouse which was not good um, is that they take a while to warm up they take a while to get their rhythm and they feel not they, they just feel a little little too fresh out of the box um, and then as the series progressed, it gets very good. Um, and then, but I think that part of the problem with that is that then, you know, once they're hitting their stride, they get canceled, for example, Firefly. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's, so I would, basically, I was willing to give it a chance because of that. Cause I was like, okay, you know, I, 
I want to see where this goes, but I, I will tell you the first few episodes, I felt the same way you did. And I'm like, why am I even watching this? Um, I didn't like any of the characters <laughs> except for <laughs> Agent Coulson. Um, and it's it's gotten a lot better. So I, I say you should try it again. Yeah, well, I watched this week's episode and I was impressed at how well um, everything was tied in to each other. Um, I think that's that's really cool. And that's something only Marvel can do right now since they are owned by Disney. They have the film studio. They have the television studio. It's really cool how they can tie these things in. I think I'll watch the next few episodes because I think Nick Fury is in the season finale. So well, I, I was going to say I, I was interested to see I was wondering if they were going to do some sneaky cameo in this um, yeah. with either with either uh, um, Steve Rogers or Nick Fury or something, but they didn't, but they still reference things. And I heard the same thing that the Nick Fury was going to pop up somewhere. Um, but, uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was done well and as they should have done it. And, you know, I think you're going to see more and more of this cross marketing too. Well, and it's, so it's, you know, I think it's interesting. They've got the impact on TV. And as the film ends, uh, we're kind of at a, at a bit of a crossroads here. We've got Captain America going out. Um, well, we've got Captain America is going to be looking for Bucky. And we know that their relationship in the comics is, is really important. Um, and uh, we have... Nick Fury going out in Europe and then uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is demolished and, and those events are going to play out in the TV show. And then cinematically, we have the introduction in the two post credit scenes we have um, in the first one, which is directed by Joss Whedon. Um, we see Quicksilver mm-hmm. and Scarlet Witch yep. and some villain dude who we haven't seen. So presumably this credit sequence is setting up Avengers 2. Right. And then you also see the end end credit, which was really disappointing, I think. I thought it was uh, a little it was a waste, but I was hoping yeah. for more, but It's it's Bucky basically realize going to the Smithsonian exhibit realizing or seeing information about himself and his history. Yeah. So, uh, it's all about the amnesiacs, Ollie. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I we could do a whole episode on 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 that. Um but you know, the, the, I, I got to tell you, the, these post-credit scenes were a bit disappointing for me. Um, I was expecting more because I had heard. I mean, obviously, I think everybody you can't you can't get away from it. But I had heard there was going to be the Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch um, little intros, and I was I was definitely expecting more out of it somehow. And, you know, for our, our listeners who might not be familiar, these are mutants. Yep. And the, the what's interesting here, there's a uh, loophole in the contract between Fox, who owns all the mutant properties, the X-Men, the Magneto and all of that, um, and Marvel Studios, so that they can have Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in both universes. And in fact, we saw Scar- uh, we saw Quicksilver here, and Quicksilver is in X-Men Days of Future Past as well. Yep. So. Um, yeah, so we shall see. It'll be interesting. We'll see. So um, we'll see. And I mean, this, this storyline um, for the Marvel Universe is continued later this summer with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So that'll be the last film before Avengers 2. So we'll see how all this gets tied together. Yeah. But right now, Conrad, I got to tell you, I enjoyed the film, but... I have no idea how this stuff is all going to come together in Avengers 2. Yeah, um, it'll be interesting. Um, but I do, I do, I will say after our discussion, our movie preview, that 
that I do think that this was a pretty nice season opener. Oh, absolutely. In terms of the blockbuster. So this is uh, I think it's it's setting a really nice tone. Um, It went in some bold directions. I really enjoyed it. It's in my top three of Marvel Studio films, I think, uh, along with Avengers Iron Man one and and this, um, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I didn't think it was perfect, and I, I don't think, as many critics are saying, it's one of the best political thrillers out there. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that either. at all. No, one no. people are saying no, but um, um, and, but I would I I would say, but that's okay. I think that they're just trying to you know um, get some some buzz yeah. going. But yeah. I think. Um, Unless you would like to say a bit more, I think we might be ready to move over into the Infinite Crossover Chamber. Welcome to the Infinite Crossover Chamber. That was a nice sound. Wait, wait. I don't know what that was. I did lasers last time. You did this. It's great. Well, I wanted to do something a bit patriotic. Nice. Because today's crossover is Captain America, Steve Rogers, versus Superman, Clark Kent. What are the what's the essential question of the crossover today, Conrad? Um, who is the more successful American superhero? Patriot. Patriot. The most the most successful patriotic superhero. Like the, the question really comes down to. The, I don't. I don't want to say traditional American values because then I fear that I will sound like. The tea party or something terrible like that. Yeah, what we're we're talking about is. But is let's that talk idea. about. Well, okay. You know the idea of um, uh, truth, justice in the American way, and I know American way can be debated, but you know the uh, both of these characters have um, a lot of similarities here. Um, Captain America was obviously uh, engineered um, to be a super soldier, uh, a symbol. That um, inspires um, those around him to uh, fight for the the American cause, whatever it might be. And back then, it's, it was World War II. And the other thing about about Steve Rogers is he was someone who did want to enlist in the army, but was not. Uh, was smaller and was not um, able to normally. And then you've got Superman and Clark Kent, who's an immigrant who comes to America from uh, Krypton, a planet that's been destroyed, but wears this red, white, and blue outfit um, and really fights for, well, no, red, white, and blue, there's yellow in there too. Um, But he fights for the American way. In, in many ways. And we saw some of this play out in Man of Steel uh, last year's um, Superman film. So there's a lot of things I have in common. The other thing that I thought was interesting about both of these characters as well is they're both in some ways alone. Um, Clark has, you know, his adopted family, but he does, he's his home is destroyed. Whereas Steve Rogers, the life that he knew um, back in the World War II era is, is gone. He's been ripped out of that time, robbed from that life that he was going to live and is now in the present and has missed this whole uh, chunk of his life. So so where do you see these characters, Conrad? Um, well, I mean, you have to think, hmm, you have such similar characters or the ideals of such similar characters coming out in the comic books. And I think that they were very clearly... In competition with each other. What do you think? 
<laughs> well, they were both created around the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I can't, it's hard for me to, to, um, to kind of take that out of my head when thinking about them as characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I think that this, as we talked about, like the propaganda piece of it, um, this is part of why I was like the Captain America never really fully appealed to me or mutants just seemed much more interesting because they kind of seemed a little bit more rebellious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's somewhat unfair to, to Superman and Captain America. They do have their rebellious sides. Um, but it's hard for me. I, I it, It's hard for me to, to have a clear winner here. Um. Well- because I, I honestly think that they are, despite the fact that Superman is is more of a, a godlike, Jesus-like creature and Captain America is more an American incarnation of, of the country itself. Um, like, it's very hard for me to, to come out with any clear winner. Well, I think what you're part of what you're speaking to is also some of the criticism we've seen of both these characters and why some people have a hard time relating to them. They've been called these, quote unquote, Boy Scouts um, who always do the right thing. And you see Captain America in this film, um, you know, well, this is not right. We can't be doing this, uh, blah, blah, blah. Freedom, this freedom, that. Um, And you see Superman in so many versions, um, kind of the same way. And I think one of the versions that's really interesting is um, Superman Red Sun, where um, it's this whole storyline of what would have happened if Superman landed in Soviet Russia instead. And uh, that's kind of interesting storyline, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, Well, and if you look at, if you look at um, Watchmen and, and, you know, some of the themes that are along there, there is most definitely <laughs> a bit of a criticism of the Superman character. Absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's an interest in just the whole, the whole idea of the superhero universe, in fact, um, who watches the Watchmen, right? Well, and, um, and so- let's look at Let's look at The Dark Knight Returns. It's, um, it sort of sets up this epic battle between Batman and Superman. And Batman is basically saying, uh, Superman is basically saying, look, look, Bruce, you can't keep doing this vigilante stuff. We kind of locked it up. You know, Reagan doesn't want me to do this kind of stuff, doesn't want us doing this kind of stuff. And Bruce is like, you just don't get it, Clark. You just don't get it. You, It's not all good and evil, blah, 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 black and white. Um but uh, so, but it does but it does feel I mean especially in the comic books especially the earlier comic books and sometimes in the movies but it feels like there's a lot of black and white. Um I actually think that this most recent film and the more recent iterations do a much better job of of painting a few more shades of gray in there. Yeah. Um but uh, you know it's just one of those things that they are v- both very very apple pie. <laughs> So well, so what if we what if we looked at um, these two versions of Captain America in in First Avenger and Winter Soldier versus Man of Steel? Hmm. Would your opinion then of who better upholds these kind of patriotic American values would would it change? Well, I'd, I'd have to. I think I'd have to go with Captain America then. What makes you say that? Um, because. 
Man of Steel, Superman is very much more of a defender of the universe, the the human race entirely. And there's this because of that weird deity feeling, it doesn't feel as if he is defending, you know, freedom and those kinds of things. It's more like he's protecting the world from other deities. And he's not a deity. I understand that, but that's how I read him. That's how I read that character. Yeah. He is very savior and Christ-like and it's, you know, it's much more like, "Oh, I have to help out these puny mortals." Whereas Captain America used to be a puny mortal and he understands that even though Superman has kryptonite obviously as a weakness. Um Captain America, that's the whole premise is that he used to be he knows what it used to be like to be weak. He defended all these things, even though he was weak and, and then he became strong and, you know, and that's sort of the whole basis of that character. That's what he's pulling from. And I just think that Superman has never really, he does view himself as, you know, yeah, I guess they're kind of like my people, but I'm an alien and I don't know. I just don't get his, <laughs> I don't really buy it. But so if this was um, 10, 15 years ago, I would probably give it a draw. But given Man of Steel (laughs) and given these two new versions of Captain America, I'm going to have to go with Captain America, too. And here's why. So um, now this isn't about patriotic values, but both movies set up this epic climax where um, they have to they're facing either uh, Winter Soldier or um, uh, Superman is is facing uh, what's his name? Uh, That Kryptonian dude. Um, the the bad guy in Man of Steel. What is his name? Um, whatever that guy. <laughs> and in Man of Steel, he ends up killing him. Um, and in um, in Winter Soldier, you have Captain America um, refusing to to kill Bucky. And I thought that was an interesting sort of interesting comparison. I know that has nothing to do with this question, though. But if we look at this question, I think you see Steve Rogers um, talking much more about the complexities of living in um, in this post 9-11 America and um, how he is so um, uh, so supportive of fighting for these individual rights. And I think Captain America in these new iterations in both the comics and and in the movie has done a better job um, talking about these issues that exist now in modern America. I agree. And and we see this in the Marvel Civil War storyline. And I I know a lot of people have strong opinions about the Civil War storyline. But you see Captain America really taking a stance on these issues of individual rights. And I don't think we've seen that transition with Superman as much, either in the comics or in the movie Man of Steel. No, and it's interesting because I actually feel like the Marvel Universe has done a bit of a better job at updating those storylines to fit in with current events. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. So for that, General Zod was the guy I was thinking of. Um, so, yes, I think we are. We're, I guess we're both giving it to Captain America. Yeah, which I didn't think I would say, but I think that's it. There we go. Uh, listeners, let us know who you think wins Captain America versus Superman. Who better upholds these American patriotic values? And with that, let's head into our top five. All right. So we are talking top five 
political thrillers. Um, and I think we both define these a little kind differently. of a little differently, a little broadly. But we'll kind of see how we did it. I was thinking about movies that involved, um, you know, either some uh, some type of government agency spy kind of stuff and there's some mystery that unfolds um some larger plot that unfolds things like that okay i uh i i did something a little bit i did more conspiracy theorists but i would i would turn most of these somewhat political thrillers but i guess it depends on your definition of political (laughs) (laughs) so what's your number five uh my number oh i should also preface this with um a lot of the more classic political political thrillers i haven't seen you know there's a ton that came out in the 70s and i haven't seen that so i know i know i know this is not a genre that is my sort of expertise so a lot of mine are biased towards recent movies that have come out so um you know want to put that out there so my number five is constant gardener okay uh, this is a film came out in 2005, um, and it stars Ralph Fiennes, who I absolutely love. Um, he's great at Voldemort, and he's great in this film as well. And um, you know, I think it's um, I think it's a, a film that kind of uh, captures a lot of these uh, more kind of global aspects of things that are going on. Um, how different, uh, whether they're pharmaceutical agencies might be, or is it pharmaceutical agencies? I don't know. Um, but how all these different things are playing with each other, interacting with each other. And uh, yeah, I thought it was good. I really enjoyed seeing that film. I've seen it a few times since. Uh, I recommend it. Um, my number five was Charlie Wilson's War. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Um, it was directed by Mike Nichols, written by Aaron Sorkin. And it was basically uh, recounting the story of the U.S. congressman, Charlie Wilson. And he partnered with the CIA um, to basically uh, support the um, the I'm going to mispronounce this and I would will feel terrible. Um, Mujahideen during the Soviet war in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. It was supporting that. Um, it was, it was one of those little quiet films that I don't think a ton of people saw. Um, yeah. but it was very well done. It's, that's a great pick. Um, I, I really enjoyed that movie. It's Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Stars in, who does a, a really, does, really does, nice job. He does a great job and it's a really, it's well-written and it's, you know, it, so, so that was my number five. Um, well done. And, uh, yeah. So number four. Uh, my number four, this is, uh, I don't know if people will count this as a political thriller, uh, but my number four is uh, the HBO miniseries, John Adams. Uh, That's not, that does not count as a political <laughs> thriller, Ollie. Well, okay. Here's my rationale. Now, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, it's a fantastic miniseries that came out, uh, I think, in the late 2000s. And... Um, it's it's a document. It's a docudrama. It's more a docudrama. 
is a drachidama, and it's based upon um, the founding of, of the United States. And uh, it really has all the, the cast of the, the quote-unquote founding fathers are in there. And the, the story really focuses on John Adams and Abigail Adams and their sort of um, – their story and their contribution to this. Um, well, what I like about it is it it brought a lot of. Not only did it brings that does it bring that era to life, and it talks about a lot of the the horrid things that also happened on the way to independence. But um, if you think about a political thriller and bringing to life these stories of the colonies and um, uh, the British Empire and what was happening, I think it does a really nice job of doing that. I've probably seen it like three or four times. I really love this film I think series. you just picked so. this because you liked it. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But I, I think it qualifies. Um, um, so that's my number four. Um, my number four is The Born Identity. Yeah, uh, that's a good pick. Uh, once again, we have an amnesiac <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out what's going on. And um, as most people, and I, you know, I think that the first film was fantastic. Um, really pretty well done. I mean, you know, it, it has its flaws, obviously, but you definitely want to know more and you want to know who's behind everything, who's behind Treadstone. Um, and it's it's basically the nice thing about it is that the audience is also kind of piecing together what's happening while the character is as well, while Jason Bourne is. Um, so, yeah, and I, you know, it's it's very interesting in thinking about these. And I actually cut a few out because they also involved amnesiacs. Mm. So I was like, <laughs> I have to mix it up a little bit. But but this was one of the first that sprung to mind. What's cool about born the born identity is um uh it's it was so imitated yeah that style of action it was one of those first movies to really have that close zoomed in kind of a little shaky cam action and it's been in imitated over and over and over again so very influential film and what i like about the first one rather than later ones is it was more it felt like more of an intimate story than uh, the sequels even though the sequels are pretty good as well um good pick okay how about your number three uh my number three is syriana mm. um this is uh, the 2005 film um, by the uh, same director um, of Traffic. Um, and I think I mentioned Traffic as a pick in uh, a previous episode. Um, so I, what, I, what I like about Syriana is similar to what I like about Traffic. You have these multiple different storylines that um, at first you're like, how is this all related? But um, by the end of the film, you realize how these things are related. It's, um, it gets at some of the more timely um, issues related to um, U.S. dependence on oil and how um, different factors of uh, political motivations of different nations and how all this kind of ends up playing out. Um, so that was interesting. I should also say that when I first saw this film, for whatever reason, uh, the subtitles weren't working. Mm. And there are sequences where they have, um, I think they have these um, Pakistani workers in um, one of the other country talking in Urdu. And I speak Urdu, so I was able to understand and I translated it with the people I was watching. And then we discussed it afterwards. We we're like, wow. 
That was a really interesting directorial decision not to include subtitles. It really makes you feel like you just don't understand these individuals and where they're coming from and their motivation. And I ended up sharing that with someone else who had seen the film. And they're like, you're stupid. There are subtitles. (laughs) What are you talking about? So I had to watch the film again. But um, I think this if you like traffic, I think you'll like Syriana. All right. Uh, my number three um, is an oldie but goodie, The Manchurian Candidate. Uh, yep. Yep. You know, I, I didn't want to put it on here because I haven't seen it. I saw the remake, which was bad, but I've heard the original is very good. Uh, the original is amazing. has Angela Lansbury. It's fantastic. Um, and Frank Sinatra, I think. Wow. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure it's, it's got Frank Sinatra. Am I making this up? Perhaps. Um, But in any case, you see, um, this film was just so, um, it's referenced in so many things. And you see, uh, like, sort of vague reboots in different different types of things. Um, But um, it definitely was, yes, it was. It was Frank Sinatra and Angela Lansbury. Who knew? Um, But... You know, it has this whole twist and, you you know, is you're you're trying to figure out what's going on the whole time. It still holds up. It's it, and it's a classic. So you should definitely check that out. Cool. No, it's it's on my list. And also dealing with the idea of people coming back from war and what they have to do in war and things like that. Um, so and that's part of why it popped up in my head thinking about the new Captain America. Cool. Um, so we're on number two. Uh-huh. All right. My number two is another one that doesn't scream political thriller. (gasps) Is it? Never mind. Keep going. (laughs) Um, It is um, uh, Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, All right. I can see that. So this is, again, from 2005. Stretching Um, a bit, but okay. I give you that more than the John Adams thing. (laughs) Okay. So um, this is also a film that I think it got a lot of critical acclaim when it came out, but it I think a lot of people still haven't actually seen it. Um, and it's based on real events um, where the film really focuses on Edward R. Murrow, a CBS reporter who is reporting on the events taking place related to Sen- Senator Joseph McCartney and sort of the Red Scare um, that was happening here. And um, it, it's it's it came out at a time where there was a lot of criticism at um, – at journalists and the lack of accountability that journalists were having towards um, and the media was having towards our politicians and letting them get away with things. And I think it's a film about an era um, a long time ago um, that is, is it's long forgotten at this point. But it's a film that I think still has so much relevance in today. And especially, I think, even more so now with the changing role of media and journalism and the question of um uh, who will hold our leaders accountable um, as media continues to change and as media becomes more uh, democratic and moves more towards the internet? Um, really excellently acted. Um, it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful film. I think it's a t- thought provoking film. Um, really love it. Um, my next one is is probably also a bit of a stretch in terms of that. Um, but I actually, um, you know, in, in 
See, I kind of went more less political thr- thriller, more conspiracy, like finding out something's going on mm-hmm. underneath the surface um, of whatever you think is actually going on. So in this case, I have picked Sneakers from 1992. <laughs> ah, I've never seen it. Um, so basically... It is a team of computer. Um, they're they're basically um, hackers, and they are industrial espionage experts. And they believe they're hired by the NSA um, to steal some um, uh, some information. And they find out later on that it's actually not the NSA who is employing them. <laughs> so it's. Um, it's dated, but it was one of those films that I remember watching and being like, this is so good. And it isn't really great. I mean, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> it's one of those oldies but goodies. And it, it's, you know, one of those things. It's like a classic, similar to War Games, you know. Huh. Uh, War Games, which was referenced in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but reference. you know what? If you're going to reference it, get the darn line right. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, there's that. Um, but yeah, so it's, and it's funny because War Games is referenced in a lot of things, um, including Galaxy Quest. Yep. And Ready Player One, as we talked about. Oh, yes, in of course. Previous episode. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, that's why I went with that. Um, cool. Well, it kind of reminds me of The Net, the yeah, Sandra Bullock yeah, film. Yeah, same idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I know I rem- it's stretching a little bit and it's not like necessarily a political thriller, but it is. That's it cool. was one of those moments where it's like, oh, they do not, they're not working for whom you think they are working for. And when the big reveal happens, you're kind of like, oh, okay. But, I give you that. But, um, yeah. So on to number one. What is it? Uh, well, my number one is the the obvious pick. Um, and this is one of those 1970s political is it, thriller films. Is it Citizen Kane? No, it's not Citizen Kane, although that is an excellent movie that belongs on many number ones. Um, it, my number one is All the President's Men. Oh. Um, the obvious pick for number one political thriller, 1976's story about reporters Woodward and Bernstein and their efforts to uncover the details of the Watergate scandal. Um, so a few reasons why it's my number one pick. So uh, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford are amazing here. And this is kind of another tie in back to Captain America with Robert Redford, why he was a perfect person to be in this movie. Um, but it's it's also you know, we, we're so familiar with the events of uh, Watergate and uh, the facts of what happened. But what's so cool about All the President's Men is it's the story um, told from the perspective of these reporters and how all of that was unfolded. And um, I saw this probably about five, six years ago for the first time. And um, it was so interesting watching this movie and how they did their research and report uh, compared to this era now in which which we live and how they had to like pile through yellow pages and go searching for facts and information and how it took so much longer than all this stuff does now. Um, but the dedication of these men to find the truth, um, I thought is, it's such a great story and, um, just such an interesting piece of our, um, of our history. And I think it, it kind of points to how much distrust there was, uh, uh in establishments in the seventies. And, um, I, I love the film. It's well acted. It's a great, um, it's it's important era um, in our history that I think a lot of people need to be aware of. So that's my number one. Uh, my number one is yet another classic. It is North by Northwest. 
Oh. Uh, the Hitchcock. Uh, yeah, it's... It, I, it, it wouldn't scream political thriller to me, but I totally get it. See, I was going, again, I was going more spy thriller or conspiracy theory type things as yeah. opposed to political yeah. thriller, because that's actually where the Captain America felt like that more to me than you know, a straight political thriller. And I'm yeah, no, it, I, admittedly, I, I I'm a little bothered by that, that them people keep touting that. Uh, but um, in any case, North by Northwest, it's one of those things where um, it's, it's a classic, obviously. And um, it's something that people should watch aside from the part. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous film. Um, and, you know, uh, Eva Marie Saint and Cary Grant are excellent in it. Um, but it's just one of those fil- films where, you know, he the Cary Grant character is basically being pursued all over the place um, by agents that he's he has no idea why they're doing this because it's it's a mistaken identity thriller yeah. film. And yeah. he basically has to figure it out. And, you know, it's. It's well done. It's still fun to watch, and and I and I still enjoy it. I still get nervous for him. That's no, I do too. That's it's a great big, great suspense. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock films. Um, uh, good one. I like that. So that is it. Um, so, so I've got two honorable mentions. Do you have any? Um, well, I have some, but they these were ones that I thought of, but again, they were. I was like, oh, that's pressing it a little bit. So why don't you go first? Sure. My uh, first honorable mention is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I was going to ask if you were going to do that. Yeah. I was almost positive you were going to do that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to keep the, the Trekkie nerding out to, to a little bit of a minimum. Um, but it, it is a great political thriller. It's it's kind of a whodunit set against this um, this murder mystery on the eve of universal peace is I think what this, the tagline for the movie was. And it's the movie that got me into Star Trek. And I, I think it's, it, it is a good story. Um, highly recommend that. Um, the, the next is enemy of the state. Um, I only put it as honorable mention because I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it holds up, but what I liked about it is it kind of did predict some of the surveillance um, issues that have become a big issue now with the NSA and all of that. And it, it, it predicted that in, back in the 90s, I believe, is when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that film. Um, I had a couple. Um, I, you know, I, they, they, these were like a little bit more of a stretch. And, you know, I not fully into it, but I thought Minority Report was, was definitely... In the oh. realm of the, it's not because yeah. it's in a future and it's a bit sci-fi and all that. But I just thought it was, you know, a bit of that whole, um, the, you know, the trying to figure out what's going on and what has been insidious within, what is rotten within an organization. Totally. Um, and then I also, um, I was thinking about the X Files actually. <laughs> The film or well, the, the show? the film and the show, because it's like basically their whole thing is that the the government is conspiring with, with aliens um, to, you know, to, to oh gosh knows why. I don't even remember what ended up being the reason. But, <laughs> but that was like such a basis for the show was this like weird shadow conspiracy going on underneath and they kept it going for so many seasons. So, yeah. Cool. So there is that. There is probably a lot more, but I'm going to leave it at that. 
Well, yeah, let's uh, let's leave it to the listeners to let us know what are some of your favorite uh, political conspiracy thriller suspense films. Um, Let us know on uh, Nerd Hour at Twitter or on Twitter at Nerd Hour at www.superfantasticnerdhour.com. And um, you can also email us at... um, Info at ner- superfantasticnerdhour.com. And Conrad, before we do our interv- individual sign-offs, we're doing something a little bit different next week. Right. Uh, so Ali, as some of you may know, has been invited or has been invited, right, to WonderCon. Uh, yeah, well, accept- well accepted. Accepted. You, you submitted a proposal, you yep. and um, your lovely... Dr. Your Andrea Ledimenti. I was going to say your lovely cohort and yep. partner in crime. Um, so we're doing a panel on the psychology of Star Trek versus Star Wars. And uh, Conrad and I thought it might be a nice opportunity to do a recap WonderCon episode. I will be uh, going to uh, other panels. I'll be trying to do some short little interviews for you guys. Um, try to get some interesting nuggets um, out of WonderCon. So our next episode is going to come out a little bit more delayed. Um, we usually post these on, on Mondays, and our next episode is going to come out a little bit later than that. But, but what you will get... But you'll be getting a very special Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. So, uh, Conrad, I'm excited for that one. I can't wait to talk about WonderCon with you. And... Um, uh, in the meantime, until we get to that, where can people find you online? Online, on Twitter, my handle is Prince. And if you like zombies, I also have a zombie slash undead podcast called Reanimated. And we are, you can tweet at us at reanimatedpcast.com. Or no, reanimatedpcast. And then um, we are reanimatedpodcast.com, I believe, is our site. So... So, zombie lovers, we'll see you there. And until the WonderCon episode, you can find me on Twitter at Ali Matu, and I am the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com, um, where I talk about all this psychology of sci-fi stuff. Um, so, until next time, Conrad, live long and prosper. Indeed. And have fun at WonderCon. I will be nerding out. I'm super excited to hear about this. So, all right, folks, have a good one.